Hey everybody, it's John. I wanted to remind you that we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Over there on Patreon, Mitch and I discuss subjects concerning movies and television and just about anything else we want to talk about. So uh, if you want to come over there, you can subscribe for $2 a month for one episode or $5 a month for every episode at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Thank you. Hello and welcome to a supplemental edition of Alien Minute. Uh, we were formerly the podcast where we analyzed Alien and Aliens one minute at a time, and now we're going to talk about Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi, as it's fresh on everyone's mind, fresh on our minds. Mitch and I have both seen it. Uh, by the way, Mitch Bryan is here uh, yet again. He's been here all week, but he decided to stick around to talk about Star Wars because, man... It's always fun to talk about Star Wars. This is a spoiler-loaded conversation, so if you haven't seen the movie, you probably should go watch it first, and then we'll be here. Come back, and I don't know how I don't know how insightful this is going to be because John and I have not spoken about the movie, so uh, this is this is really going to be interesting. Well, I, I think I have I have quite a bit to say. I think that there's a lot to say about this movie, so I'll get that off my chest right away. I think there's a lot of meat to chew on in this movie. So I have some things to say. We'll see how Mitch, uh, how the conversation goes with that. But first, I want to ask Mitch. You've seen it one time, right? Once. What were your initial reactions after seeing it? Um, I had some really interesting reactions. I thought because it's a film that, for me, feels very different. Certainly different than JJ's movie, and I think really different than. I think feel like JJ's movies feel kind of like The Empire Strikes Back, and this doesn't feel. Like anything, there were times when I actually thought it felt a little bit like Return of the Jedi. Um, And so the frequency was really interesting. And you kind of walked out of that film because it was two and a half hours and there are a lot of moves in the movie. Like it really like reversals and switches and plot things. And it's a very, um, it's a very, you know, filled with lots of bric-a-brac and lots of lots of things, you know, happening all the time. And and so um, I walked away from it kind of thinking, well... I have some quibbles, but then it's kind of like, what's the last time that I saw, for example, a James Bond movie where I didn't have quibbles? Like, right. it has this responsibility to be a Star Wars movie, which is kind of its own genre, and so it has to do things that Star Wars movies do. Uh, and then it, it also has the responsibility, I think, to be fresh and surprising and delightful and all those things that sometimes franchise movies don't seem to really care about because they know their audience is built in and they're just going to give them exactly what they want. So I really, upon sort of letting it sink in, realized that I really appreciated the frequency of the movie. I also just watched The Force Awakens again and, you know, really like that movie a lot. There's some boxes being checked and everything in it, but in general, I just really, I like that movie, but it feels very, very different. 
Yeah, I also, you know, did that, I guess, what would be the ritualistic rewatching of the last movie um, the night before I went to see the premiere, the the Thursday night opening of, of The Last Jedi. I watched The Force Awakens again, and I had to, I've seen that movie a lot. My son likes it a lot. He's a real big Kylo Ren, Ray, Poe, Finn fan, so he's already really into these new characters. And my my parents bought it for us for Christmas last year, not Christmas, yeah, it was Christmas last year, and he, we've watched it a million times. So beat for beat, I know that movie, yet so much of it still has an effect on me. So I, I really enjoy it too. And, and I think a lot of it is nostalgia, which is exactly what J.J. Abrams is trying to tap into. And I think rightfully so, we're being brought back into the franchise again. We, I'm sure his mandate uh, as given from, by Lucasfilm was somewhat, we need to reset the franchise. We need to remind everyone what brought them in in the first place. So that's one of the, you know, one of the major complaints about The Force Awakens is how it so closely follows the plot of uh, Star Wars, the original Star Wars movie. I think that's fine, because I do think that there was that necessity after the prequels and after all the ancillary material. Let's get back to the roots, remind everybody why they liked it, make a popcorn adventure film, have some pathos. I mean, there's some... The, the Han Solo death is very effective to me. Like, I still get caught up in it. I think it works really well. Um, but that, again, that's also tapping into nostalgia. Um, that's my guy. That's the guy we all fought over who got to play with the Han Solo action figure when I was a kid. I think with the last Jedi, um, there's an opposite intention behind using those familiar tropes and tapping into the nostalgia. I think what Ryan Johnson's doing is tapping into, uh, tapping into our familiarity with the certain tropes of star Wars and then subverting them over and over and over again. All the expectations we've had of what was going to happen next or what we are used to having happen in a Star Wars movie seems to always get turned on its head in this movie. And starting with Luke tossing the lightsaber over his shoulder after having received it, that's not what I ever expected to see. Yeah, <laughs> I had yeah. no idea that was going to happen. And I kind of feel like um, Abrams didn't either. And Ryan Johnson said, well, Abrams, J.J. Abrams, we all know, has this mystery box sort of approach to storytelling. And he was sort of leaving, what do you call that kind of art where you draw, you draw a part of it and you hand it over to another person. They're supposed to continue from your lines, you know, making tangential lines from it to make one piece of art. I think that's what JJ Abrams expects everybody to do with his stuff. He starts the idea of lost. He gets it to the polar bear or whatever. He hands it off to the showrunners and the writer staff and says, go from there guys. And everybody tries to keep up with whatever he set up. In this case, I think Ryan Johnson said, no, I'm going to literally throw your mystery box over the cliff. And we're going to move on from here. And so it started starting with that after a great opening sequence as well, which is more of an expected kind of Star Wars thing. From there on, every time he throws something familiar at you, he flips it on you immediately. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really true. Um, two quick things. One is I saw an article that was posted that was going around the web, the headline of which was something along the lines of, uh, Ryan Johnson doesn't care if you like his Star Wars movie, yeah, which makes me think about when we were talking about how Alien doesn't want to be liked and Aliens does. Mm-hmm. JJ's movie needs to be liked because it was very, there's a lot of pressure of resetting this thing and somehow then giving uh, Ryan Johnson the, the possibility of just, just taking it and making his own version of it. And because he's got the chops, I mean, this isn't the same as sorry, but this isn't the same as Quantum of Solace to Casino Royale, which was this amazing resetting of James Bond. And then they handed it to a guy who really didn't have a lot of vision. And I know there was a writer's strike and everything else going on. And so it wasn't in good hands. Like he was not the top of anybody's list to direct a James Bond movie, Um, Mark Forster. But uh, in this case, this guy has such love and interest, it seems to me, in 
in, in the realities of it, that he just does this thing, not unlike what Irvin Kirshner did with The Empire Strikes Back. You know, exactly. he brought this he brought this new sensibility to it, but he had he gave a shit about it, you know? And so it's so I just found it to be just really innovative in that sense. And I like the fact that it felt different. Uh, I think that, you know, we're in this society that sameness is preferred over difference. And so for me, just the fact that it had this vibe to it that was not quite the same and at times was even confusing was really a, a great feeling. By the way, I just wanted to add, when I watched The Force Awakens the other day, one of the things I really noticed was this really interesting strategy that Abrams is employing as a director. And what he, what he seems to be doing as kind of an overarching strategy as a director is to always have two things happen within the cut, usually connected by a whip pan or something, where mm-hmm. you're, every, it's not like every single shot does one thing. Every single shot tends to do two things. And then mm-hmm. so when you drop in a single that only does one thing, like somebody in a cockpit flying their plane, you know, it's it doesn't feel out of place, mm-hmm. but it feels, it's like these great, like, periods to these sentences that have clauses you know and Mm -hmm. so his direction of the i think it's extraordinarily well directed movie the force awakens i think i think maybe it's a better directed movie than than the last jedi um just because of this kind of rigor in 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 what happens within frames now i say that having only seen the last jedi once and so it may be that i'm completely wrong um but it felt to me as i was watching the movie to be um you know a little bit more storyboarded in terms of this shot, this shot, this shot, this shot, where there's an uh, appreciation for kind of mise-en-scene in, in the, uh, you know, in the J.J. Abrams movie. I never would have thought J.J. Abrams is a master of mise-en-scene, but there does seem to be something that he's up to strategically that's really interesting and makes it feel like the Kirshner movie. I don't know, maybe maybe in Empire, Irvin Kirshner does the same thing. I haven't, I haven't watched it with a t- critical eye towards the direction. Yeah, the kineticism, that's the thing. With Abrams, as a director, I think that's his strongest tool is he is a very good kinetic filmmaker. He knows how to move scenes along. He knows how to move from shot to shot, like you're saying. Your grammar analogy is very good. I like that. Because he does know how to build shots and move them from one to the other and then punctuate them. And you feel like you're on a ride. And that's what we needed in The Force Awakens. Um, Things to keep moving. Here we needed to be, there's a little bit more of a uh, necessity for stopping and taking account of things breathing space for sure so yeah. so going back then to subversion of things or additional um beats added to what is st- typical star wars tropes we get the big battle sequence at the beginning which i again say i thought was great um there's a lot of added elements to it that we've never seen in star wars before like heavy use of slow motion and so on um but the beat at the end the punctuation on that sequence is Leia looking at a some kind of a monitor and seeing the toll of the battle. We've never had that before. Have we ever had a Star Wars movie where somebody looked at something and realized how many lives were lost? Oh my God. And that's so true, John. And I really realized that that, that worked not just as a, as a moment there in that moment for the film, but somehow it stuck that idea so clearly that mm-hmm. when we get into the end, I was just like, holy shit, all these people are dying. It's always, there's always an accounting of life throughout this movie. There, you know, whether it be, oh, we lost another ship, now we're down to, they keep reminding you, now we're down to this many, or now we're down to 
uh, uh, in something like 40 people at the end or like something. Like we're going to get everybody into the Millennium Falcon. That's Every, how, that's how few end, people we have. Yep. By the end, they, you can jam them into the Millennium Falcon. That's nuts. That's and the then, entire rebellion uh, as we know it. Exactly. Yeah. Which then gives importance to that last shot, the last scene that a lot of people are... Uh, the coda with the kids. The coda with the kids. Yeah. That's, that's the next step. I mean, now it's going to be... A, about those people that are out there that aren't connected to the story. Like Kylo Ren says to Ray, you aren't a part of the story. That's exactly what he says to her. You aren't supposed to be in the story. You're lo- a nobody. And that's such a great line. Yeah. Just it, it's, and it's, it's not even being like meta. I mean, it is meta because you can't, you, you can't you, not be you, meta with right. Star Wars. But, but it's, but it, but it has this mythic quality to it. This conscious, we are the conscious myth makers, like, which is the appeal of Kylo Ren to take over and become the new, you know, dark Lord of the empire because he wants to build his own mythology. He's so completely polluted by the mythology that he's just by product of who he is and who he was born of that. He has to create this, this counter mythology for himself that is completely toxic. And it's, it's, I mean, I can't believe I'm talking about star Wars in, in those kind of rich, psychological terms without and i'm not being a geek here i'm not i mean this is this is real solid good film language that's going on in this picture it's i would argue okay this is probably the most relevant star wars movie ever made is that because the main bad guy has orange hair and and (laughs) there's a little bit of that (laughs) not only do i mean relevant as far as um there's some allegory going on in there there's the this conversation that the movie's having uh some of the characters are having about uh, toxic masculinity, for instance, that's definitely there on both sides. Yeah. Like what you're talking about with Kylo Ren, he's trying, he's like the toxic male trying to seize control of everything and shape the future. Right. He wants to, he wants her to join him in that. Yeah. At the same time, we got a guy like Poe who is supposed to be our hero. He was like this pie eyed, you know, fly boy in the first movie going yeehaw everywhere. And I loved that about him. But in this case, he's the ultimate mansplainer, right? Like right. he will not let Lord Dern's <laughs> Admiral Holdo, Oh fuck! I didn't know. I, I didn't know that Laura Dern was in the movie. Yeah. So when she so, showed up, because you know I have this thing for Laura Dern, it was so <laughs> it was so cool. I yeah. was so happy to see her show up. Well, I love her every single time I ever see her in anything. And in this case, I was like, "Are we really? Are you going to mix my Laura Dern with Star Wars? This is nuts." <laughs> and I got to tell you, it took me it took me some processing. It took some processing for me to figure out what her character was. Yeah. And I mean, I had to leave the theater. Yeah. And I basically had to have somebody pose the question to me of what her character was for me to realize it. Well, and she's what, tricky. I mean, there's, there's, you, you think she's one thing and then she's something else. You, you, you make an assessment of who exactly. and what she is and then she becomes something else, which is, again, like, that's a, that, that move, there's like three, three parts to that move. That's what the whole movie is like. There are just, there's move after move after move. And, you know, I think, was it JJ who had the, had, had the famous saying of, um, you can have moves or moments and Mm -hmm. I'll always choose. No, it was Joss Whedon. I will choose the moment over a move every time, but I'm quite capable of making the moves. Um, this movie makes a lot of moves. And has a lot of moments. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It's two and a half hours. Um, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, you're right. The, the Holdo Poe thing is a, another uh, uh, relationship in the storyline. So it's basically their story, um, that storyline of the cruiser chase, which I'll say right now, I don't give a shit about the logistics of that. I'm tired of hearing about it already. Who cares? It's Star Wars. It's never going to make sense. Right. Get over it. It's right. about what's happening with the people inside that ship, period. I'm sorry if anyone's offended by that and thinks that we should be discussing 
uh, whether light speed maneuvers should have been made, blah, blah, blah. But isn't no, that the whole parsec joke? Isn't that the parsec joke? Like yeah. this is a movie that uses a measure of a measurement or time or whatever the fuck is the, the parsec that they say it is in star Wars. Isn't really what you can't make a run in 12 parsecs or some kind of shit like that. So yeah, it's like it's star Wars. It's yeah. fucking flash Gordon. It's yep. excuse my language. No, I guess we can curse on, on we can, we can curse, curse on, on this. We yeah. Even cursed. though it's PG 13 rated movie, we're going to curse. <laughs> oh, no. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think that, um, that that was, I, I think that, there's nothing wrong with that. It's okay that we're taking the Flash Gordon template exactly. and doing something with it. And I think that, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it is just well, a Star Wars movie. So for people to, uh, just to illustrate that idea, we're talk talking about science fiction here. As much as we want to talk about Star Wars as science fiction, it's not. It's, it's fantasy. fantasy. Yeah. So the science of Star Wars is always malleable. It is always like meta like metachlorines. <laughs> right. It's a, well, it's always just interchangeable because it is there to serve the the characters and the themes of the movie not the plot who cares about the plot the plot has never been the thing the arguably best star wars movie basically doesn't have a plot right empire strikes back does not it's not about the war it's not about science and logistics at all it's about the people and that's the one everybody loves the most for the most part so in you know the original one if you love star wars also much more about the people than the plot i mean let's not get into the death star having to go around a planet to destroy a moon I mean, obviously, you could destroy the planet, and it would also destroy the moon. So what are they doing? <laughs> anyway. Um, right. You're right. Forget about all that. Let's think about the character, the antagonistic relationship between Holdo and Poe. Poe is established as our hero. He's our Han Solo, sort of. He's an amalgam of things that we understand from Star Wars, but Han Solo is probably the one that's on, you know, the, the level that's on the top, on the surface. So we're rooting for him. He's a rebel, right? We have this uh, new admiral who's replacing our beloved Leia, Saying, need to know, buddy. Need to know basis. You don't need to know what's going on here. Wait your orders. We're rooting for him because we're used to rooting for rebels. This movie takes that idea and says, yeah, that doesn't always work out, does it? Because he sends Finn and Rose on this mission that turns out to actually be the downfall of a lot of people when you think about it. Mm -hmm. There's no reason, uh, as the science of the show of the movie is explained... There's no reason for the First Order to have figured out these transports were going to that planet, except that the they ended up finding out from them, from Finn and Rose, and then the Benicio Del Toro character who happens to be with them. Had that mission never happened, her plan would have been perfectly fine, according to the logic of the movie. So, again... Poe po screwed it up. Again, yeah. Poe totally yeah. screwed up. He yeah. tossed lives, again, yeah. for the yeah. second time in the movie. Um, having not learned his lesson the first time, partially because Leia is a permissive mother... <laughs> I will argue that too. <laughs> she smacks him in the face and says, you're grounded. And then as soon as something happens, he goes, please, can I fly my ship again? Okay. She yeah, says. right. <laughs> so then we get, so then we get Laura Dern come in and she's a strict disciplinarian. No, you don't need to know. You're just a pilot. When I need to tell you what the plan is, I will. And if you're going to just keep, you know, begging me to tell you, why would I, re why would she reward that? Yeah. That, that, that's one of the big problems people have with the movie, but they're thinking about Star Wars logic. Yeah, in Star Wars, everybody knows the plan. There's a big meeting and every single subordinate is there. In this case, we're actually seeing military behavior. We're seeing someone acting logically and someone trying to save every life. And this is, you know, I don't think it's an accident that it's a female and a male that are having this antagonistic relationship. So what ends up happening is he fucks up. He costs lives. As she basically said, that's what's going to happen if you keep going off guns a-blazing. And... She gets the huge hero movement that he watches in awe. <laughs>
which is a fantastic moment. I love the light speed through the ship. Yeah, it's great. Oh, it's so beautiful. It was so funny. I don't know what the audience did when you saw it, but... Um, oh, whoa. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Because, it, because the sound cuts out, mm-hmm. and there's something just inherently that says you need to not react really loud because suddenly the movie has gotten more quiet than it's, than it's been for the last two hours. There was this, there was this audible kind of mm-hmm. watching that happen. And I don't know about the logic of whether you can go to light speed okay. and split a ship in well, half. Well, I have no idea. It's what turns out you can because it's in a Star Wars movie. There you go, right. That's all that matters. Uh, but it, I but, mean, Luke or Han went to light speed inside of a... I mean, I think J.J. was actually being very kind of meta on that as far as the science of of Star Wars when she's like, can you do this? And he goes, well, we're going to find out. Right. And it works. So therefore you can. And yeah, that's right. how Star Wars science works. But so w- everybody quit. Please do yourself a favor. Quit struggling with the logistics of Star Wars. It's That way lies madness. I promise. Pay attention to themes and characters. If those don't work for you, I, that you have a legitimate beef with Star Wars. If you're bogged down by logistics, you're seeing, not seeing the force for the trees. I'm, I'm, that's just some advice for you all. You could do whatever you I want. I thought you said you're not seeing the force through the trees. Oh, sure. That too. <laughs> but um, I'm not trying to tell people what to do. I'm just giving you some advice from my point of view. I think that that is the best way to uh, read Star Wars movies. I think that that moment is so sublime and that reaction from the audience was so telling. I'm kind of curious to see it again to see whether that, you know, who knows? Everybody will probably be seeing it the second time. So it's good to see it the first, you know, couple of days that it's out to sort of see it with a really fresh audience who yeah. have know nothing about it, right? So that was really an extraordinary moment. And I didn't expect something quite that that big i i also didn't expect the visual the use of red in the movie is it's extraordinary and mm-hmm. the gimmick of having this red dirt scarlet dirt under this white surface yeah. was really fantastic like it's just like this is what you watch movies for to have a visual idea presented to you that is delightful and pleasurable and exciting and that shit was great. I mean, the whole yeah. climax, and I didn't even know where the climax of this movie was. There was a certain point I thought the movie was over. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know that we were going to have this whole other set piece on the planet, and I'm really glad we did because I would have been a little unsatisfied if my climax of the movie was this three way thing that was going on that got a little yeah. tiring after a certain point because everything was coming down to this split second, and then it was keep bang- banging from three different you know stories that were going on. So it was nice having that big consolidated climactic set piece where everything and everybody was involved and everybody was in the same place more or less yeah i brought it back into focus because as much as he wanted to branch out and get away from star wars in certain ways what we understand about star wars it was nice that he funneled it back down and made it about luke we really needed resolution with luke in this movie i think and man how how i thought it was amazing even the first time i watched it where some things didn't work for me in the first viewing that did that was the one thing that made me really really want to see the movie again was the entire situation with luke in the third and luke is such a petulant baby like he always is that's what i thought was so great was that this was somebody who um the director writer director was willing to just kind of say well if you look at luke skywalker like all he ever does is whine and he finally does always rise to the occasion but it's 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 having to get out of his own way all of the time and his own doubts and his own weird psychology and so to just kind of present it seemed to me a really logical version of Luke at this age that, you know, it's, he's still the same fucking whiny little kid. And remember he's relatively untrained. He's not a, 
we can call him a Jedi. Sure, he's a Jedi. Dioda says he's a Jedi, so that makes that's the stamp, right? But he kind of isn't. He didn't go through any training to speak well, out. He didn't learn from any other Jedi for more than a short amount of time. And then he gets this, and he says it in the movie. I think that's another important line, is where she, you know, Ray has this hero worship of him, which is set up in the in the Force Awakens, where she's like, oh my god, this mythological figure, Luke Skywalker, really, he's real. And then she gets there, and she's like, but you did this. You took care down Darth Vader. You saved the uh, the the Republic, or you know, took down the Empire. And he goes, yeah, and I became a legend. And he says that in a very pejorative way. Because he knows that that wasn't the next step he probably should have taken as a Jedi. You know, there shouldn't have been. He shouldn't have become a rock star. He should have probably gone into hiding then and learned and meditated and got become centered. But he never had a chance to. Then he, he took too many chances with his students, and then he fucked that up too. So Luke is a big fuck up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love the guy to death. That's what I love about him. Yeah, is that he's a whiny fuck up. He's somebody I can relate to. He's not. Like the centered, I like Qui-Gon Jinn okay in the, in the Phantom Menace, but he's not that guy that's supposed to seem like the centered samurai, like perfect warrior. Yeah. And uh, that makes me like Luke so much more. And that ending, man, uh, I just, there's everything about it worked for me. Well, I think what's interesting is, is given what you were just saying, it occurs to me that, and I could be wrong because I haven't seen uh, Return of the Jedi in a long time, but my memory is that when Luke walks into Jabba's palace at the beginning, mm-hmm. he is arguably at the highest point of his evolution of, as a Jedi that he'll ever be at. That, it, that, that he's in such control and command in that moment that it's kind of like, oh my God, he's, he's like, he's got it all figured out. And then what you realize for the rest of that movie is he's never back to that kind of power. Now, it's, you know, it, what's the old expression, you know, uh, um, at, even at, suns- at sunset, even dwarfs cast long shadows, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's walking into, I mean, it's just Jabba the Hutt. He's not walking into the most incredibly yeah. dangerous place. So he's really in his, in, in his element and in control. And Except he gets, doesn't realize that the floor is going right. to go out from under his <laughs> feet. True. Uh, so he really is so never he's, he's in power. A, only for like the time it takes him to walk in. Mm-hmm. He can <laughs> but, force choke some Gamorrean guards. Yeah. And yeah. Th- hell, that's dark side shit. And then he goes in there all cocky and C-3PO is the one that tries to tell him, like the stupidest <laughs> character, tries to tell him and he ends up falling down. You know, he's successful in certain ways, but when you think about it, the only reason why he comes out on top at the end is because he goes over for a second. Yeah. He gives into his anger and then Darth Vader saves him. Yeah. So... I don't know where his peak of power is. Well, that's what I I'm mean, saying. It's a maybe, movie, maybe, I guess. No, well, uh, exactly. That was my point. Was, oh, that, okay. was that then you get to this point now where you it is this undeniable peak of power levitating and f- casting this, like even being able to make three-dimensional, you know, make those dice appear in somebody else's hands. And you, I mean, it's it's, yeah, that's it. Like he's magic. He's super magic man at this point. But I love the idea of him floating in a, you know, meditative pose just above the ground yeah. there's an image in watchmen like that too isn't there yeah maybe i think I dr manhattan maybe is floating sure, like that or sure. something um but it's a great it is this you know the only thing that would have made it better if he would have been bald or something like there's something really like just sort of like a you know a shaolin priest able to do something that you know nobody else can do oh, the, the cinematography of all that too the him facing down those AT-ATs and the, <laughs> yeah. and the Death Star yeah. gun, which I think was a funny, uh, I don't know if you caught that. Did you catch that? That uh, Finn looks at the gun and he goes, yeah, it's miniaturized Death Star tech, which I thought was hilarious <laughs> because it was, a, it was a meta sort of way of, of being like, 
haha, we stuck a Death Star in here, but we didn't. Um, I thought it was like the planet killer in Star Trek, too. It's like, you got to ram it right down its oh, throat true, to destroy true. it. You know, yeah, the, the Commodore long... goes yeah. down the throat, yeah. right? Um, I was going to say one more thing, like going back to the, you were talking about the red planet. Yeah. Um, there's a really effective cut that a lot of people I think might have missed. And it was, you know, the red nature, the, the white on red is very necessary to it. I mean, not only do you get the two, uh, the juxtaposition of Kylo Ren and Luke, if you really look closely, Kylo Ren, uh, they constantly cut his feet kind of sliding in the uh-huh. sand, making uh-huh. marks. And if you look at the, there's like two cuts or maybe just one close up and one wide shot of Luke's feet. Yeah. They don't make marks. So that's a clue. Oh, nice. But um, when Kylo, when, when Luke does his Obi-Wan moment where he turns off the lightsaber and lets Kylo take a shot at him. Yeah. Right after the saber goes through, it cuts to a close-up of Kylo Ren's feet sliding through, uh-huh. and it looks—it made my heart stop, man, because it looks like a huge blood splatter. And right. I was like, dear God, they didn't kill Luke this way, did they? Because I was still all in. I had <laughs> right. not figured out. Um, I knew something yeah. weird was going on with his hair and stuff, uh, but I thought maybe he just got, you know, you change yourself before a big moment. I thought it was just a right. tropey thing. Right. So... That blood splatter kind of cut scared the shit out of me. And I was like, no way did they really just cut Luke Skywalker in half. And he's going to slide. Then when he turned, I was like, now they're not going to do the Monty Python thing where the guy slides off. And then I was just shocked. And it was really funny because Archer, uh, my son Archer and I went to see it yesterday. And um, whenever Luke turned and looked at Kylo Ren unharmed, Archer goes pretty loudly He's a force ghost. That's what he said. Everybody laughed. It was a weird time. Nice, to, nice. Sorry, Art, sorry to anyone in the theater who didn't want to have a laugh right there. But he's anyway. a force ghost. Well, um, I also thought it was great that we got rid of um, Snope or Snope, Snoke, Snoke yeah, or Snape or Snipe or Snick because he sucked. He sucked so badly, and I gotta say that name is the worst Star Wars name. Uh, Jar Jar Binks is a better Star Wars name. Like Snope, Snoke, Snoke. Snoke. It's like snake, but with an O. Stupid. So fucking stupid. It's so not powerful. It's so, it just, I can't, I forgot that that was his name. And then I was like, (laughs) every time I watch uh, Force Awakens, I forget that's his name because it's just so painful for me to hear. Now, I do think he's well-performed. Oh, he looked great at the end. Like when you were really close on his face and it was really gross. It was great. But he was such a red herring. I love it. Because you get this like larger than life image of him, literally Uh in... The Force Awakens, yeah, where everybody Oz. thought he was this giant. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was like, kind of obvious as soon as you saw he was a hologram. No, he's just like making himself that way for intimidation purposes of intimidation. And the Emperor did that too. Yeah, he did it. And then we see it again, like more Emperor style, just the head and everything at the beginning of this one. And then we get that throne room. I thought it was great. I thought we, I, I'm with you. I wasn't that big into him from Force Awakens. I was just kind of like, I don't know what consequence he's going to be of, but I guess we'll see as this trilogy goes on, right? Assuming it would continue with him. I was so and great it, when he killed him. I was so happy. Two, both times I've seen the movie, huge cheer from the audience. Yeah, oh, yeah, Everybody yeah. loved how that came down. And the brilliance of Kylo Ren using the fact that this guy is manipulating him and, and entered, has entered his mind. So at that moment, Snoke is saying, girl, there's no way you're going to change this kid. I'm, I've got full control over this kid. I can read his thoughts right now. And he shows off by saying he is, but he's reading the thoughts of him. He's about to ignite the lights, the lightsaber. He's about to kill his true enemy. And the whole time Kylo Ren is thinking that about him. Yeah. And it was a nice little twist. It, it was enabled him to, you know, um, undermine the force control they had over him. Which is and why they I just thought... cut, the, cut the dude in half. And then the last time you really see Snoke is a, close-up of him with his tongue hanging out and his eye. It just like yeah. illustrates even more how 
pointless that character was and now they never had any intention of making a big deal out of him. But it could have been the end of the movie. The fight that that led into as then that was where the counterpunching was happening with the other stories that were going mm-hmm. on. I really thought we were at the end of the movie. So I was really surprised that there was so much more movie left over after that. You know, there's a whole act, frankly, after that. Yeah, I, you could almost speculate that he paced the movie in such a way that you were supposed to think it was over. So, I mean, that that happens at the one and a half hour mark, probably, or a little, maybe even a little after. Is that where? Yeah. Um, so you could feel like that's the end of the movie, but he never wants you to feel like you know where you're at. I didn't know where I was. In a way, it's like Aliens the first time that you yep. saw Aliens. You didn't quite know where you were, and I didn't know where I was during this movie, which is great. I I, I, I didn't feel like it was um, two and a half hours. I just felt like there was like it was chock full of nuts. There was a lot of stuff going on. Which is great, which is going to make it, I think, infinitely rewatchable. I think there's a, there were so many little subtle beats that I didn't notice the first time that I picked up this time that made everything work better. There are obnoxious things in the movie, without a doubt. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't want to ignore those. The Maz Kanata cameo, where they call her for some reason to find out about this codebreaker guy. I don't know why Poe couldn't have just known this guy. Like that would have added to the scoundrelly nature of Poe. Like, oh, I knew this guy I, I, from the academy. Now he, yeah, you know, he he washed out of the academy, but he's really good at code breaking or something. Cause it was just so stupid and pointless. It was a dumb cameo and doesn't make any sense at all. I pretty much could have lived without the whole set piece on the casino planet and all the business with riding the horses, creatures, thingies. And that felt like a Disney moment. It didn't feel like a star Wars moment. It felt really, or it felt like bad George Lucas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we needed to see where the kids were, and I know we needed to see the upper elite, which is the one percenters that are that are benefiting from everything, and that connects with the world that we live in, um, and arms dealers and all of that business. But there was something about that whole set piece that um, kind of wore me out. I agree 100% on my first viewing. On my second viewing, it went by way faster. Oh, good. I had an idea of the thematic relevance of it, which helped because I, not that I didn't get the gist. I mean, the gist is right on the surface of that sequence, you know, with this class struggle, but I hadn't tied it in with the rest of the movie yet. And I realized another thing I realize is we're, we're cinephiles. I always forget that sometimes you have to take off your cinephile hat when you talk about movies because, um, especially star Wars movies or Marvel movies or the intentionality of the director, the mandate of the director is to cover a really wide audience, right? Right. And with Star Wars movies, especially, you really got to keep kids in mind. And I'm not saying it's a kid's movie. This is not a kid's movie. But you do want to tell them something. You want to make sure they get the information too. George Lucas was making a kid's movie. He made lots of kids. Yeah, he says that. He's making kids movies. So I get it. I get it. I think prequels more so, or maybe the first two prequels. And anyway, but the idea is that this movie is made for for children age five to my parents age seventy three. Everybody needs to be involved here. It needs to be made for cinephiles. It needs to be made for casual film uh, audience. So while this sequence might annoy us and might annoy ca- casual film audiences, my kid liked it. He laughed. He thought those horses were cool. <laughs> he liked the, the one of the close ups of the kids. He went like ah yeah right just because he saw right. a kid yeah and there's a there's meaty thematic material going on there. So he, what Ryan Johnson did there was create a kid's sequence that conveyed theme to the kids. 
So they're actually in on the movie. They understand. I mean, they right. it's in exposition, and we're usually against that, and I am against that, and I rankled at it when I heard this speech that Rose gives about the you know basically the one percenter thing, and I was like, oh, I can see that, and I'm like, wait a minute, kids can't read movies that way yet. He's got to keep them in mind. So in that sense, I think he's doing his job. I still don't think that sequence is great. Like, don't get me wrong, the CG's bad, and there's some. I don't like the horse chase either. It doesn't feel like my Star Wars. But it's somebody's Star Wars, and I'm, I'll give it to them. And, I, I would and again, add, it's it's goes by so much faster the second time you watch it. I thought it was really long and tedious. Just as a sidebar, I think it's interesting what you're saying about the the demographic target he has to hit and kids and all that stuff. I saw The Shape of Water yesterday, mm-hmm. and it's so clearly a movie that is made for a grown-up audience. It establishes its R rating within seconds of its beginning. And it's a film that really just kind of flips off the sensibility of the giant movie. And I wonder, and there's no spoilers here, John, because I know you haven't seen it yet. Um, I wonder, I don't know the background of the story, but if I were to make up my own background of the story, which I would say mm-hmm. Guillermo del Toro went to Universal to do a Creature from the Black Lagoon movie. They didn't want him to do what he wanted to do. And he was so pissed off after In the Mountains of Madness not being made because he wanted to make an R-rated movie and they said it was too expensive that he went over to Fox and made his own Creature from the Black Lagoon movie that was R-rated and you know flipped off Universal. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, but um, that's what it feels like. I do know he was negotiating. I mean, I even think I read that he was n- negotiating to be kind of the... Right, overarching the, producer of this of, dark universe that Universal was yeah. going to do that they've already dropped because it sucked. Right, because the first movie, I guess, failed. Yeah. I didn't think it made a few bucks, but maybe had he been, they given it to him, but they didn't. He's they probably like, we want to go hard with these. Right. He's like, I want to, I don't want to be held back on these. So it might have had something to do with that. Yeah, I mean, that's total speculation, but I, I do think that you're onto something because there was a moment in time where he was involved in that. Yeah, I remember reading that too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, John, we're at 38 minutes or 30, we're probably with that anymore, probably 36 minutes. Um, do we want to keep going or, or do we want to um, close off this conversation? Well, I think we should, we could wrap it up um, by saying, I, I definitely, you know, I think the, this is clear through what I've been saying. I highly recommend to anyone out there who did not like The Last Jedi to go see it again. Give it one more chance because I do think there are things there. I think you will, I think Star Wars is just another creature of a movie franchise. I really think it's hard to watch it once and come away with a real, like true critical reading of it because we're all so affected unless you're not a star Wars fan, but we're also affected by our own expectations, our lifetimes. I mean, seeing star Wars is my first memory in life. Literally. Like that's the first thing I can really remember, which also uh, I'm, I'm getting aside here for just a second, but it occurred to me the other day because I got real, I get, I've been getting real emotional about Carrie Fisher ever since she passed away. And it's weird. I don't usually get too hung up on celebrity deaths. Maybe for a minute I'll mourn like Bowie and Prince. I mourned, but I can listen to Prince now without crying or something. Every time Carrie Fisher comes on something, I get choked up. And I realized she's basically the first human being I ever saw on a movie screen. And I go, wait a minute, that must be why. She really meant a lot to me. And I do love her in this movie. I actually like her so much better in this movie than The Force Awakens. She was treated as a real character in this one, I think. She was given some big moments. I liked her big moment in the second viewing of the movie. It was really jarring when she married Poppins across space the first time I saw it. But um, the second time, again, you know, to get back onto the subject... The second time, I, I thought it was great. And I think so many of the things that bothered me about the movie were either 
much better on a second viewing or blended into the scenery on a second viewing or went by faster on a second <laughs> yeah. viewing. I think everyone should go see it again and give it another chance because there's a lot of meaty material that we haven't even, that we haven't even touched on certain things that I could talk about, but we'll just go on and, uh, uh and, uh, finish up here because we're an aliens podcast not a star wars podcast but we did want to have this conversation uh kind of as, as a capper to the show i guess you gotta listen to something because there's no more aliens to yeah. listen to and yeah. uh maybe someday we'll get together and have a i don't know do a week on alien three or something no not even a week not even five you couldn't even you couldn't even um, break that into five parts and just do a do do five you know i the reason why is because i think that the, an alien three minute is still going to happen it's just not going to involve me or you um, yeah. Or it might involve me. I might be the producer of it. I don't want to sit and talk. I don't want to be responsible for recording the episodes. I don't really have that much to say about the movie. Yeah. So I would rather pass it on to someone who does. No, that's good. And, yeah. You know, use the domain name. It's an off-kilter compositions production, all that stuff. Um, but uh, so I don't really want to tread on Alien 3, even though we tread on it quite a bit right. whenever we bring it up. I don't really want to go there because I think there should be an Alien 3 minute. And I think I know how it's going to come out, but you know, I can't say right now. It'll probably be sometime next year, and it won't be me. So you. aren't you glad you listened to this episode? You didn't think you were going to get any inside scoop on, on Alien Minute, and you just did. <laughs> so it's a, it, let's end this on an Alien note. All right. Uh, well, everyone, thanks a lot. Maybe we'll see you again in another supplemental episode. Maybe Mitch and I will see something else we really want to talk about and realize we should do it in microphones and record it. Well, uh, uh remains to be seen, but, uh, thanks so much again for listening to Alien Minute and being, uh, you know, the loyal listeners that you have been and, uh, we'll see you. We'll see you next time. May the force be with you. <laughs> <laughs>